for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Formula One's big splash in Texas and how that shapes up against Kansas. You may find interesting what Dan Elliott and I have to say. Playoff drivers struggling in Kansas and how that sets us up for Martinsville and the next-gen car test with drivers of the near past. This is five to go. They arrested me and they put me in jail and they called my pappy to throw my bail. He said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving. That Hot Rod, Rod Lincoln. Lincoln. All right, good midweek afternoon, everybody. Beautiful here in North Georgia, but rain is on the way. We are riding the high of the World Series Game 1 win for our hometown Atlanta Braves and riding the high of all the racing action that really... Uh, well, it turned our gears this weekend, okay? And that is meant in a totally platonic way. Doug Turnbull here from the traffic team at 95.5 WSB. And I'm an occasional fill-in on the Performance Racing Network. You can find this podcast, the 5 to Go Racing Podcast, on WSBRadio.com and GoPRN.com. Eric Von Hessler was set to join us. But the technology bug bit him as it interrupted this podcast weeks ago, and so he wasn't able to log in at the last second here. I've got some things he'd like to impart, both about the F1 race and Kyle Larson, so stay tuned for that. But Mr. Dependable is here, fresh off of a moonshine festival at the Dawsonville Georgia Racing Hall of Fame, and also, I'm sure, about knee-deep inside of a transmission, proverbially, it's the master mechanic of speed, Dr. Dan Elliott. How you doing, sir? Doing great. Hope everybody's well. Weather's beautiful, and it was a was a great weekend. And looking forward to this life to this race before we get to the plus, before we get to the end of the season. It really, it's hard to believe. Just two races left on the schedule yep. for the top three series. It took since February. Well, it took since the beginning of the truck playoffs in August to finally get the playoff schedules for NASCAR's top three national series there, the Cup Series, Xfinity, and Camping World Trucks to all sync up. Everybody will race Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup at Martinsville this weekend, and everybody will race at Phoenix the next, and that sets up the championship weekend, of course, at Phoenix. That means everybody, Dan, has an elimination race in Martinsville. But before we get there, we need to talk about what went down in Kansas for the Cup Series, where we saw, guess who, Dan? Kyle Larson go to victory lane. He became the first driver. I love this stat. No, it's not original. Yes, I'm mimicking what other people said. Don't worry. <laughs> I admit it. But th- he is the only the the only driver besides Dale Earnhardt in 1987 to have three consecutive wins or more twice in a season. What do you think about that stat, Dan? And what do you think about the five teams' performance? Remember, they were almost knocked out of the playoffs at one point when they had the alternator issues at the Roval and also the big problems at Talladega. So what do you think about the Larson performance <laughs> again this time around? You know, Doug, when you when you assess the season at what we've seen Kyle Larson come from and where he is today, do you think anybody would have predicted that we would see him be this hot at the end of the season based on the way the season started out. No, in fact, I thought that they had used a lot of their good juju as far as winning races and just hammering people 
in that mid-season stretch back in June. The last time there was a three-race winning streak, which actually was a four-race winning streak, right? Because the All-Star race was smack dab in the middle of that. That's not a points race. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't predict him going on to – so here's some stuff to line up, Dan. If we were doing regular season, season-long standings, he has over a 200-point lead over Denny Hamlin, and they were neck and neck during the regular season, number one. Number two, yep. he now has nine wins. A driver has not won ten races since Jimmy Johnson, I believe, in 2007. Number three, I almost said Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson – has now led the most laps in the history of NASCAR in a 36-race season. All right? So think about it. They used to run tons of races in the 60s and sometimes double that. Kyle Larson broke Jeff Gordon's 2001 record for laps led. So it's not just wins. It's dominance. I predicted him going to Hendrick and doing well and doing the best he's ever done in his career. I didn't predict him dominating the Cup Series as he has for most of this year. That, that's my that's, – if you're asking the rhetorical question, there's my for real answer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and and I respect that because what that organization and what that driver has put together. Because we've been we've seen some incredible drivers come out of that camp over the last decade for sure, and you can even go back to more than a decade. So you look at what's come out of that camp and the championships that they've been able to assemble, and the fact that. I was concerned mid-season that they would, to some degree, burn out, which they have not. They've just gotten right. seem like they've just gotten stronger and stronger, and I think that tells you number one probably manufacturer, owner, drivers team how really good all this effort this, this is just another championship effort going into this season and, and I just don't know at, at the end of the day when the smoke clears that you're going to see anything different except a, a Hendrick championship and you have held to your guns the whole time yeah. I was going to say you've and, held to your and, guns the whole time on that Dan that Hendrick is going to Hendrick and I thought because the margins are so close in these in the Cup Series, and Joe Gibbs Racing has been so close. I mean, they don't have the numbers, but I mean, Truex has four wins. Hamlin squeezed off a couple. Kyle Busch has squeezed off a couple, and they're right there in the conversation. I just thought at some point there was going to be the as us talking heads say, peaking too early, or as you said, burning out, or them closing the door on that. Remember the noses and the front the front suspension stuff that they talked to NASCAR talked to Hendrick about. I thought by Hendrick having to dial that back that maybe they took away the one thing that gave him an advantage. But, Dan, I would say it's got to be more than one thing that's giving him an advantage. And the advantage statistically is a lot bigger than what it is on the track. Frankly, one little slip up and you throw a Gibbs car up there, you put the nine car of Elliott in the lead, or even every once in a while Ryan Blaney. One slip up, one little hiccup, and you don't have nine wins. At the same time, when you get out in front and lead all these laps, it's hard to argue against that dominance. Yep, you know, in a in a regular points year, we would see Kyle Larson just just blowing everybody away. He w- it would. It would be a two hundred and thirty four point uh, lead, I believe, in the standings. I got to look him up again yeah. just to make sure. And the season long classic points. Uh, 
I take that back. No, 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 no. He would have a 17-point lead, surprisingly. Sorry about that, over Denny Hamlin. So actually, it would be close. But then it would be a 246-point lead over third-place Chase Elliott. So that shows how consistent Hamlin has been. So I misspoke a moment ago uh, about the non-playoff and playoff standings, the classic points, if you will, of the race. But, Dan, I mean, we will agree that if you have stages involved in elimination races, it causes everybody or most people to race differently. And so it's hard to really, at least for me, to compare the two. I agree. And there's no need to compare the two because we have what we have. And for the sake of time and argument, it, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Well, and the, the, got, so he doesn't have to got. win Martin's. But go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. No, but it, it is what it is. We are looking at a phenomenal end as we get closer to the end, we're looking at a phenomenal end of this season that I have no idea that one driver would be able to assemble the runs, the wins, the drive that they put together for the end of this season. I, I knew it would be good, but even I didn't anticipate this. For sure, and it's not as if Chase Elliott has been far behind, but he does only have the two wins. No. Alex Bowman, the 48 team, seems pretty well off or pretty bad off right now in comparison to his three teammates, but they still have the three wins. They don't have a lot of laps led, though. William Byron is just wrapping his knuckles bloody on the door, and they had a loose wheel that had caused them to have to pit a second time during a yellow flag and lose track position and, and whatnot. They had just have had different problems, and some of those driver inflicted. Some of those, like, like that one, team inflicted, and Byron still rebounded to finish sixth in the Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway. But it was Larson and Elliott, top two. But can't, can't forget the fact Chase Elliott's been rebounding well and putting together a good playoff scenario where he only has to finish mid-pack in Martinsville to and, and not even get stage points to clinch. Uh, the third and fourth place finishers, Kevin Harvick and Kurt Busch. Harvick is coming on strong again there. And I, I, have him, I had him in sort of my non-playoff driver's list of one to be fastest, and they've lived up to it the last two weeks. Kurt Busch out of nowhere to finish fourth. The rest of the top ten, Denny Hamlin fifth. He finishes mid-pack at Martinsville, doesn't do anything stupid there. He probably advances into the championship four. Sixth place, William Byron. And then it gets interesting, Martin Truex Jr. just below the cut line because he cut a tire and, and had to cut, come back from that and foregoes, had to forego some stage points because of that trouble when he hit the wall. He managed to finish seventh, and that car was bent up badly. A big toast to the 19 team for the repairs there. Eighth place is Christopher Bell. Ninth place, Joey Logano. He has to win. There, I mean, he had to win this race, and they just didn't have it all day long. He also had an unscheduled stop, I believe, at some point. Tenth place was Austin Dillon, and then the other playoff drivers going further back. Brad Keselowski ended up finishing only one lap down after cutting a tire and losing at 1.3 laps. He's 17th in the, in the race. Of course, Kyle Busch, he essentially had the same problem twice, scraping the wall, cut tire, and ended up 28th. Now, he's only one point to the good on the cut line, and a driver who got wrecked too late in the event to have any chance to come back from and too heavy a damage, Ryan Blaney finished 37th. Blaney had a comfortable cushion and is now only one point uh, right at the edge of the cut line there. Blaney, Dan, could win Martinsville. Kyle Busch, of course, he's the threat at any track. Maybe Martinsville not the top of his list, but he certainly could shred there. Martin Truex Jr. won it in the spring and was dominant. 
Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski have had Martinsville success in the past. And then, and let's not forget that Hamlin and Elliott are great there. And Larson was fifth in the spring. Really, all eight of these drivers have a case to be made at Martinsville. Do you have any kind of prediction at all of what to expect and how the championship four will shape up as we go from short track to medium track? You know, I think it comes down to me to kind of the the – When you really get down to it, it is from the last two races left, based on what I just saw at Kansas and the fact that other drivers, that playoff drivers, having trouble, I think this is a, a early indication that we really don't know what to predict yeah. for Martinsville. But I will tell you this, as far as a organization that's, got it together and it's theirs to lose is still the Hendrick deal. It, it, it To me, it's still the Hendrick deal. Yeah, that's a great point. It seems like the championship definitely is going to have to go through Hendrick. One thing, and I said Eric Von Hessler couldn't join us today. He's the host of the Daily Von Hessler Doctrine on 95.5 WSB and all the podcast spaces there. and they, They've been working hard on their show. One thing that Von Hessler pa- passed on to us before he was able to, or before he couldn't get logged on today, was Kyle Larson seems to be someone that has a, a car that takes a few minutes to warm up. As in, unless he's in the lead on a restart, he may not have the goods right when a car launches. But then he knows how to race the leader in second and third place hard enough for them to burn up their stuff and for him to then slide into the lead when his car comes to maturation, so to speak, during a run. That's one point that Eric made, and I thought that was really good and really smart racing. I think Chase Elliott's been racing smart as well, and it's just a tick off on speed from his compadre in the five car. And Dan, I got to wonder when they go to Martinsville and you have all these other hungry drivers for a win, how organizations can help each other. Is that a place? I mean, we think about that at Talladega. Is that a place kind of like how Elliot paid Harvick back and, and blocked his line. So Larson could win Bristol is Martinsville, another place you could do it. Or is it a little harder there? Do you think it's a little bit harder? I think it's, I, I think you could get shoved around up there and, you and I both know that, that that's probably what's going to happen, even even though that you've not got any intent. You just want to win. And I think everybody's hungry enough that's in this playoff. Everybody's hungry enough that if the opportunity's there, they're going to stick the nose in because this is your last chance. Right. There's the ones. And, and let's face it. The playoff drivers are dialed in in these championship races. There are drivers that are good at Martinsville that are out, maybe out of the playoffs or, or just ones that maybe they could go up and snag one because they know a short track is more of an equalizer. Look, Tyler Reddick, right? He's been knocking on the door hard. William Byron has been right there close to a win. Just to name, just squeezing a couple off the top of my head. And you got to think if there's a late restart and they stay out on some older tires or something, they're, they're going to be harder yeah, to pass than, star, a, than a baseball-sized kidney star, stone. Yeah. We're going to get into a deal to where that it's going to be one of the playoff drivers, because I'm telling you, no one is more prepared than these playoff drivers, and I think they're ready for most most anything that comes through the pipe right now, and I think that that's what we're going to see at Martinsville is just a good competitive race, and I don't know that anyone is going to leave anything on the table, so to speak, as they, as they talk about leaving it on the table. I don't think anybody's going to leave it on the table. For sure. So, Dan, 
Kyle Larson's locked into the championship four. He has been since Texas. We saw that slowed them down not a bit at Kansas. There was a point where that race was William Byron's and Larson's was a top five car, not a winning car. There was a point kind of the mid uh, early stage three part of that race. But when Byron had his issues, that just opened up the red carpet, rolled it out for Kyle Larson to win. But we've seen with that team, they haven't had any let up just because they've locked themselves in or had a big point cushion before that. Going to yeah. Martinsville, if you're Elliott or Hamlin, you can race conservatively and probably get into the show. But we saw that with Harvick last year, and Harvick was off, and he missed the cut by just one or two spots there, or one or two points to get in. So if you're Elliott and Hamlin, Dan, are you aggressive? And then and then would you rather be someone in a comfortable points position or someone that's win or go home and, and have nothing else to worry about but winning? You know, I think I'd rather go... Whether or not I win, I want to. I want people to know that I was there, and and that the championship is one that I want. I am hungry. I want another championship. I want a championship, and I intend to race every lap to get one. For sure. And by the way, at the end of that Kansas race, on one of the last or second to last restarts. Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick were right there on the track next to each other, racing for position, racing aggressively, but no contact, no payback, just good, hard racing, the kind of race that you would expect them to see. If you knew there was no rivalry, there would be nothing to even look at there. You'd just say, yeah, good, hard, good, hard racing. So uh, do you think, Dan, that any bad blood rears its head at Martinsville with so much on the line for Elliott, or do you, do you think Harvick is going to back off a little bit and just try to pass him clean, so to speak? You know, I think everybody right now is going to, I think they're going to play hard, but I think they're going to play nice. I don't I don't look for anything to be intentional. I really don't. I, I think the most of that has iced, and I think right now it's just hard racing, and that's usually where these aggressive moves come from is the fact that everybody's just racing hard. Passions run high. You get into this deal deep emotionally as far as maybe maybe there's a, a situation where you've got to put it together you you've got to make it work but i don't see anything that is uh, going to come up i really don't from the past i just look for good hard clean racing well i, I think that's great man and I, yeah I, I would love to see that play out what we've seen at martinsville though is a cadence over recent times of really spread out racing quite frankly i mean it's that's how it's been is or the leader can definitely check out even if the back of the pack they're racing hard and i would love to see it stay competitive up there and even if somebody gets out and checks out that we have enough perforation in the action not stage breaks but enough mistakes i don't mean a crash fest just enough mistakes where we could see there be conflict and drama in this race, and we certainly had that a year ago where Chase Elliott grabbed that race by the horns late and, and managed to lead over several restarts and win, where Kevin Harvick was a lap down and reached up to auger Kyle Busch out of the way and still didn't get the spot he needed. Denny Hamlin thought he was not going to make the championship for one point. Brad Keselowski barely made it, essentially at the expense of Harvick, and same with Joey Logano. There was a ton to be decided, and I think this week in Martinsville, especially if we have, say, the 11 team of Hamlin have a loose wheel or something, if you go pit under green, that's minus two laps automatically. Chase Elliott's had ups and downs in the pits all year, a lot of ups and then some big downs too, right? 
one little mistake, the, even the margin for those guys, it's it's going to be very hard to dig out of it unless you get down early. Yeah, the racing gods, I think, are really going to have to be with you because uh, just like the things we saw from this past weekend, Doug, a lot of the, those things were, it, it's kind of like the, the strangest things happen and either help you or hurt you. Um, you're, you're trying to do the best you can, and it just doesn't seem to work. No matter how hard you try, it just doesn't seem to work. Oh, for sure. Well, that, that'll be our sort of Martinsville preview, which is uh, we expect good, clean racing. And we really don't know what to expect until it plays out, which is kind of what we say most weeks because there are statistical things to look at, but we don't, you can't predict five playoff drivers at Kansas having the, the scrape of the wall and tire issues. By the way, some of that caused by the heavy crosswind in turn two during the race that caused them to step out. And, and I remember, I think it was William Byron getting coached by his crew chief and spotter, uh, Rudy Fugel and Tab Roberts, respectively, to uh, Tab Boyd, I'm sorry, Tab Boyd, respectively, to, hey, j- just try to race the track here. Don't overdo it. And you saw drivers dial that down when traffic, when, not traffic, but when the weather was blustery at Kansas. At hey, hey, Martinsville, there's going to be a point where they settle in, but I know that temperature is going to rise late in the event, as we saw at the Roval and as we've really seen in the two races in between the Roval and Martinsville, too. All right, before we get yeah, to F1 and NASCAR and this, the big discussion had that uh, since F-cars had, F1's had its first race on American soil, since the rise, really, of Drive to Survive, uh, we got to talk about, uh, Dan, something very interesting, and that's the next-gen car test done at Bowman Gray Stadium, where NASCAR does not race. The regional and touring series and local series do, but the national series don't, and they're doing that in preparation for the Clash, which, as we learned a couple of months ago, is going to be run at the L.A. Coliseum. And, Dan, who did they dust off and bring to this test? None other than Dale Jr., Clint Boyer, so you got the TV guys and Tony Stewart, the multi-talented Tony Stewart, who will be drag racing soon. Yes. And I wanted to give you a couple of comments. They said only part of the test. It was a Goodyear tire test was open to the media. Say what you want about that. But uh, Boyer pretty much was just talking about how much faster he was than everybody, which Dale Jr. called him out on. But I wanted to hear what Dale Jr. said. He, he, was, uh, he announced this past week, by the way, that he's going to be running the Xfinity race in Martinsville in car number 88 next year. Found that interesting. And he said if they were to race at Bowman Gray, quote, I'd get used up out here. This place is difficult and is intimidating. That wall is doing all kinds of things down the straightaway. You go out there and take a look at it and see it's all over the place. And the guys that come run here, they know this place. They've got it figured out. And they know how to get around here and can take advantage of the week. He also said that the brake pedal and the braking, quote, he's using the brake pedal the same way that he used the brake pedal all of his all of my life. But this car stops so much better, Dan. The next-gen car stops so much better. And finally, I'm over-slowing the car way too much in the corners. It's got a bigger tire on it and more grip, and it has better drive off the corner with that tire. It just does everything better. And the main comment from Tony Stewart, Dan, is that Goodyear's initial set of tires was too hard. Big surprise. Stewart always says that. They like the softer tire better. So, Dan, based mainly on the feedback from Dale Jr. about how much better the brakes are, how much more grip there is. What do you think about the next-gen car, at least in a short-track Petri dish? I think it's going to be definitely an advantage, short-track and road course, which, you know, road course is just a bunch of short tracks tied together anyway. So I see this as a big advantage, short-track, because it allows drivers to be able, I feel, to control the car a lot better, because that's the thing that you always seemed to do on a short track was 
use up the brakes. Yeah. And the brakes, the the fact that you're on a softer tire, I don't know how that's going to be as far as will that be more pit stops, less pit stops. The thing about it is everybody's on the same tire, so if you've got to pit more, so does everybody else. You're you're not advantage disadvantage. Um, I I don't know. Other than that, I know that the car is just to me just so much better adapted to a short track than the car that you currently run, and it it to me is just going to be a big difference. And maybe it's another one too where the driver doesn't fatigue as much because you're not seemingly wrestling the car around as much, and I think it'll take a little bit more finesse because you you are adding to what I think is the G factor. You know, you're you're going to be able to if you're on a skid pad. You know what this what this is going to equate to as far as cornering and all. I think it'll just corner better, and I just I just feel like all the way around it's just going to be a, a better race and a better race car. That's interesting, and and Dan, can I counter with that the car is easier to drive and has more grip? Isn't that sort of the problem that's been complained about with the 550 package on intermediates? So you're saying that can make a better race in a short track setting, and I, I wanted to clarify that and and maybe get you to explain that tension right there. You know, it it comes down to me to being able to you'll be able to run the car deeper into the corner. With the brake package and with the tires, you'll be able to drive deeper in the corner, less time off the accelerator, get on it much quicker. Um, it'll be able to turn better than the car that they're running today. So that's where I feel like the advantage is, is mm. maybe this will give the drivers an opportunity. And I think the drivers that are more used to a lighter car that has better brakes is going to have a little bit of an advantage in the beginning, but this is not going to last very long, and the other drivers are going to adapt to this. You know, Little E can say what he wants to, but he's driven enough cars that yeah. if, if you're a good driver, you're going, to dra- you're going to adapt to this really quickly, and probably if you don't, you don't need to be a driver, but I, d- I just see that, that that you're going to adapt to this really quickly, and and I don't see anybody having a distinct advantage all season long. I think maybe in the beginning some drivers may take to it quicker than others, but it's going to quickly resolve itself, and I think you'll see some really good racing. Well, I, I think so. I, I definitely see where that could be the case. I do wonder, though, about off-throttle time. It seems like people have been begging for higher horsepower, more off-throttle time, but the short track package is going to go from 750 to, like, 670. And that, But but it's a whole different dynamic, a different car. So I'll be looking forward to watching that clash or anything else. I want to thank Dustin Long from NBC Sports, by the way, for doing good reporting there and getting those quotes together. He, al- he also wanted to note at the end of his NBCSports.com story that the next-gen – car is good with cup drivers not retired drivers okay cup drivers is scheduled to, te- to test the next time at charlotte motor speedway on the oval and then they're going to test the car again so that's november 17th and 18th december 14th and 15th they'll run those cars at phoenix january 11th and 12th they'll be at daytona and in late january they'll be at las vegas and dan well, i left off a track atlanta motor speedway 
with its new configuration, we'll also have to have next-gen car testing before the March race weekend for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. So there's several more times for current drivers to get in these cars, but it was good to see some guys that know their stuff make some laps. Now, last big topic, and we got to ju- jump off here in a few minutes. I've got my traffic shift awaiting, Dan. But there was this darling, just, I mean, oh, well, I, I was about to use a different word, but I would just say, exultation about how great the f1 race was and oh my gosh blows your socks off it just man nascar i mean how could you let this happen they take this attention the nascar media just did a lot of a lot of fire on the own sport let's put it that way because nascar was toiling away in kansas while f1 was just outside of austin attracting on race day sunday over 140,000 people and i think three or four hundred thousand for the whole weekend however the cup race got more people watching it, even though it was on NBCSN, than the F1 race got on the big stick, ABC. So, I, I just want to throw that out there, Dan, and kind of get your thoughts. And before you say, I want to tell you what Eric Von Hessler said, and that's that very simply, he was much more interested in watching the F1 race this weekend. So, I've got some more thoughts on that. But, Dan, your take on Formula One's first time on American soil in two years and the just sweetheart darling affair that people are having with it right now. Yeah, I sound real biased, don't I? Yeah. You know, Doug, this is one of those deals where I enjoy watching both the races. They each have their own pros and cons. I, I enjoy, for different reasons, watching both of them. The, the level that F1 is on, the level that, that Cup is on, and I, I truly, no matter how you slice it, but you're right, the F1 race is being promoted as the premier event of everywhere, of anywhere. And I know they go all over the world, and that's part of the magic to that is the fact that they, these are drivers from all over the world. It's the best from everywhere, and NASCAR is kind of promoted as a little of the same, but we know that worldwide we know which one probably attracts the most worldwide so i think you've just got a completely different following for the most part i think you've got people that love racing that will watch both of these and they will enjoy both of them and really don't have a competition between the two but it seems like f1 is what we've always talked about for years and and i don't mean this this disrespectfully but it seems like it's the wine and cheese crowd, and NASCAR has been the beer crowd. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the that's kind of the way it's promoted. But it's but it's not. It it's two separate, distinct types of racing, and each one are to be judged accordingly because they are both they are both premier, and they are absolutely the best drivers to me in the world in the different equipment that they're in. Yeah, for sure. No, that's, I think that's a great point. So there, no. So let me just reset. Y'all have heard anybody that's listened, how much that Eric and I especially have talked about F1 on this podcast. All right. We are both fascinated by it and the yeah, personalities we, we of the drama. We all enjoy it. We enjoy it. Yeah. Yes, we all enjoy it. So, so when I, when I, I guess what I was disappointed with was just this cliche 
oh, look how much better they are than the people they know. And I think that's what I'm seeing from the NASCAR crowd is this, oh, my gosh, we should be so embarrassed. I mean, look at all the attention they got. And I'm like, guys, chill out. It comes to the United States once a year. Next year it will be twice. It's going to gain a ton of attention because it's an international sport, the same way the World Cup would if it was being played. I don't care if it was in Gulfport, Mississippi. The World Cup would be a huge draw, all right? And and I sort of feel like it's a little bit knee-jerk, I guess, to get so involved with how much more attention they got. And yet NASCAR still had higher TV ratings, and both series deserved the attention they got, and NASCAR does need to ask some hard questions about the fan experience. I will say, though, Dan, with Formula One, it ain't cheaper. <laughs> People complain about NASCAR being too expensive. Formula One ain't cheaper. Hotel rooms, way more expensive. Traffic, hard to get through, just like any big event. So I'm just saying, before we start lining these up next to each other and, and picking them out, and, I, and I'm including in this like the more mainstream, non-racing crowd that's that's getting into it, just chill out. That, that's really all I mean. <laughs> Everybody, just chill out a little bit. NASCAR is not as dead as you think it is, but it does need some improvement. That's basically my take. So hope that's not too extreme for you there, Dan. No, it's not too extreme. But the thing about it is just take it with a grain of salt. We enjoy both of them. And um, even though I probably – I don't know – probably if I had an F1 race closer to home, I'd probably go and enjoy it. But right now, I'm I'm content with the way things are. The it, it's hard to beat the camera coverage, but I know being there and tailgating, there is nothing that is better to me than the excitement. I've always said for years, you haven't been to a NASCAR race to enjoy that because yep. it's the same to me. Being there is so much different than watching it on TV. It, Amen. It's so different. Amen. And and I want to see both, and I would love to go to an F1 race. I cannot wait for my opportunity whenever that does arise. Uh, by the way, if you want to hear a little bit more about a firsthand experience there, two places you could check. One of them is uh, for, for Fast Talk uh, from GoPRN.com. Uh, Mark Garrow's on, and I think like the third or fourth segment of that show you could hear a great recap of the race weekend in kansas and mark garrow joins doug rice and brad gilly and kyle petty to talk about uh, his time there he got to go as a media member also through the athletic there the teardown podcast that they do post-race every sunday or whenever the cup series race day is jordan bianchi was at Circuit of the Americas and covering the event and talking about the differences, including media accessibility. Some really good stuff that, again, is great to compare and contrast to NASCAR. I think the media experience, access to team owners, even access to drivers can be a whole lot different, especially now that a lot of people are vaccinated or taking COVID protocols, right? So check those out. Again, the teardown for the athletic and the podcast places. Fast Talk, which is a, a terrestrial program that's become a really successful podcast hosted by our, uh, the main host is Doug Rice, goprn.com. Good places to get some perspective there. All right, Dan, I got to jump here in a second. Any parting shots from you before we go to Martinsville? No, I'm just so stoked about Martinsville coming up because I honestly think that we're really going to see some, some really good competitive close racing that I, I think will be out of the payback scale that you just got drivers that have one chance left. This is it. We got to go for broke. And then the ones that are kind of locked in, I still see 
Um, still see everybody running pretty much as hard as they can run. But I, I am, I'm excited for the race coming up at Martinsville and then to go to Phoenix. I'm very excited about that, too. So I, those are going to be two great races, I think, especially Martinsville. Phoenix leaves usually more to be desired, but just the drama of who's going to be champion is enough to clue me in. By the way, for the Xfinity Series, this is their elimination race weekend, and drivers that are on the wrong side of the cut line, let me just uh, dial that up real fast there because you see on the bottom of the cut line, things are very tense for the Xfinity Series with Justin Haley just seven points behind Daniel Henrik in fourth. Noah Gregson has got some ground to make up. I mean, Brandon Jones is about... Oh gosh, 40 points below the cut line, and Harrison Burton 51 points below it. I'm really surprised Harrison Burton's year still winless, by the way. In the truck series, their top four advance on up to Phoenix as well. And the drivers that are below the cut line there, Stuart Friesen, minus five. Chandler Smith out of Talking Rod, Georgia, minus 34. Carson Hosevars had a tough round, and he is, gosh, minus 36. With Zane Smith, after a couple of problem-filled races there, 30 points back. And again, Martinsville could crown a lot of unsuspecting winners and a lot of drama there. So we'll look forward to those races unfolding through the weekend. Come back here, folks, next week to the uh, Find to Go Racing all, podcast. All i got to say, got, yes. got one more thing to say, go Braves. Amen to that. Go Braves. Hopefully next time we're on, we'll be talking about a Braves World Series win after a raucous fun sheet metal shoving martinsville race weekend i'll take a double <laughs> double dose of both of those so dan thanks for joining That's today Glad you had a good good time at the moonshine festival i gotta jump and do traffic now 95.5 wsb so for eric von hessler who hopes to be back next week and dan elliott i'm doug turnbull and thank you so so very much for listening to the five to go racing podcast we'll see you soon for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.